part of the reason I was binging and purging all the time, first it was from the restriction and that extreme thing and then finally breaking and not understanding why I had such low control. But after a while I was eating plenty of calories, I had regained a lot of my weight, but I was not only kind of in a restrictive mindset with food, but it also was mentally treating myself terribly. I was really abusive towards myself. Um, just thought nasty things about myself all the time, things I would never say to anyone else. And so one of the key things I think changes if I keep calling myself disgusting, keep calling myself hopeless, I'm never ever gonna try because I believe that that is true. Welcome to Weighing In on Happy, the only podcast that dives deep into discussions around weight, eating disorders, mental health, body image, intuitive eating, wellness, confidence, and so much more. Each week you'll be coached through different stories and strategies on how to start living your best life today. So if you're ready, here's your host, Victoria Evans. This episode has been brought to you by my Stop Bulimia Toolkit. Imagine having all the life-changing tools to stop purging once and for all at your fingertips. What's included in the toolkit? 10 of my top-rated Stop Bulimia tools that changed my life and the lives of my clients, a 33-page PDF guide with step-by-step instructions for each tool and strategy, and a powerful explanation of why each tool works from a brain-based approach because education is empowerment and creates lasting change. This toolkit is on sale right now for only $9.97. You can go ahead and get it in the show notes below, or you can go to my website at www.victoriaevansofficial.com forward slash toolkit. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Winging on Happy. I'm Victoria Evans, an intuitive eating coach, and I'm joined today by Jacqueline Davis, who is a bulimia recovery coach, helping people leave bulimia behind through mindset shifts, habit changes, and intuitive eating. So welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So before we dig into this conversation, and I know we're going to have so much to talk about, because even before we hopped on the Zoom call, we were chatting on Instagram, the DMs about kind of our story and how it relates and stuff. So before we get too much into our conversation, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and really how you ended up becoming a bulimia recovery coach? Yeah. Well, do you want like the the long story or the short story? The story that comes natural to you, (laughs) whatever you want to share right. right now. I'll share like an abbreviated version. If we want to dive into it, we can. But basically my story um, started in, I did suffer or struggle with anorexia and bulimia in high school, but I don't remember much about it because it was so long ago. However, I did get uh, therapy for that and it seemed to go away. But then um, when I started my college years, I thought I needed to lose weight and thought it'd be a good idea to start a diet. And I was like, a lot of people can relate to that. And then my college years turned into losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight. Unfortunately, my college experience was a little bit different. I didn't have dorms, so I could easily isolate myself. And there was no one really around to check my behaviors. And um, in my junior year of college, I ended up gaining a lot more weight due to traveling that I was doing. Um, I spent a year abroad and it was a really good thing, but I, because I was distracted and I wasn't so focused on weight loss, I did gain some weight and for some reason, that kind of was the tipping point for me. And I set on a really extreme weight loss journey and the, the year after, and that quickly turned into extreme deficits in calories, putting my body through a lot. And at that point I was already doing a lot of, you know, all of it was disordered, but that's a year where things got kind of weird. And I started doing things that were very 
red flags, but I didn't know it, like taking laxatives to reach my goal weight, that sort of stuff. Didn't think I had a problem, but anyway. But then eventually, of course, I broke, um, I binged, and then I attempted to purge, and it was unfortunately effective. And so that spun me out into four years of bulimia. And then I finally, thankfully, got um, to a point where because during this whole time I was looking up weight loss advice, this is the most hilarious part about it is like I was in bulimia and I was still always looking up weight loss advice. I gained all my weight back. And fortunately I came across a podcast that said, you need to um, take care of your mind first before you even attempt to lose weight. And that got me thinking, you know, maybe there's an actual emotional side of this Before that. I thought I was just crazy. Um, and then that set me on the journey of actually trying to take care of my mindset and you know, the way I spoke to myself, being kinder to myself. And that led me to realizing like, I'm emotionally using food and this is why I have such a bad relationship with food. And eventually I was able to recover from bulimia. And then now I help people do the same. I think everyone can, I mean, not maybe everyone, but some people can relate to this idea of like, it just started as a diet. Like it just started out as like, <laughs> I just want to lose a little bit of weight or I want to lose a lot of weight. And it seems like such an innocent culturally acceptable thing to do and Mm -hmm. it's like at what point does it go from I'm on a diet you know to like this is actually a real issue and the thing is like as it's starting to become a real issue you know we're getting more and more praise you know for like losing weight or keeping off weight or like oh you can maintain that weight and eat all that stuff that's amazing I wish I could do that like there's so much chatter and noise around the behaviors and the excessive exercising or like whatever it is that it can be so difficult to understand like that these are red flags and these are issues because so often it's just disorderedly praised. And yeah, even when we're going through recovery, we're looking up diet tips and still trying to maintain that smaller size because of the society we live in. And so it, it can be so difficult to go through recovery and whether that be gaining weight or, you know, whatever that looks like for, for a person, but it's so hard in a society that's very set up to want to keep people looking a certain way and us having to kind of push against that. And I think that's why mindset shifts, like you're saying is so, so important. So key and like getting to the root of like, what's actually going on here, because we just keep trying to lose weight and, you know, control our body size without realizing the reason of like, why do I want to do these things? What's actually mm-hmm. kind of the driver behind it. We just end up, you know, slapping band-aids over bullet wounds and just keep doing and doing and doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But your story, I can so relate to that with like junior year, like you're saying, like weight taking off, um, <laughs> having that tipping point, like, oh, so, yeah, so brutal, so brutal. Yeah, um, it's usually like someone has this, this one point where they, they screw up and it's just downhill mm-hmm. from there and then you fully dive into it. But um, there was one thing I wanted, you pointed out something nice that, uh, or not nice, but interesting that I totally agree. A lot of times when you are isolated and by yourself, you don't have anyone to check you and things that are really obvious red flags, you just don't even, even though when you say it out loud, like the way I tell my story, like I would never tell someone you should take laxatives to reach your goal weight. Like that's obviously major, major bad thing to do. But at the time, all I thought was, I probably shouldn't tell anyone this, but I didn't think it was serious. So it's just, yeah, the eating disorders thrive in isolation and perpetuated by all the things society does as well. Mm, yeah, the secrecy behind eating disorders and specifically things like bulimia, it's, it's insane. And even for me, when I'd lost my period for a while, I wasn't telling people, but I was like, oh, like pro gymnasts, you know, lose their periods. Like it became like this mm. like exciting thing to me. 
but I didn't want to tell anyone. And I didn't want it to like make it a big deal because a part of me knew like, it's probably not good that you've lost your period. It's probably not good that you've lost this much weight in such a short period of time through this extreme dieting. But like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, everyone's giving you praise and acknowledging you. And then you're keeping all your behaviors in secret so that all you show to the world is like this perfect curated version of yourself and all the messy bits as it were is kind of behind the scenes and literally flushed away. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know for you in recovery, you were mentioning mindset shifts, like what for you was important information or like a valuable tip or something for you that really, I don't know whether it be like a piece of knowledge or something that really helped ground you into recovery. Like, was there, I don't know, books or information or tools or just anything that you're like, yeah, this was a really key piece of information that would help people. Hmm. Well, my recovery was messy, like everyone else's. So I don't want to pretend like I'm special, but I kind of just like dove into recovery without much proper help. Um, I did read Catherine Hansen's book about a year into my bulimia. And I thought that was so well put. And for some reason that just didn't resonate with me at the time, but so much what she says now makes perfect sense. It's kind of like we were discussing before we got on here. What she was saying was correct for me. It just didn't hit home until I had finally recovered. But the key mindset shift I made um, was realizing that my thoughts affect my behaviors and not everything I think is real or correct. Um, every thought it has, it's an opinion, it's not subjective, there's no fact that can prove it in a book somewhere of what I'm thinking. Because I was the, the part of the reason I was binging and purging all the time, first it was from the restriction and that extreme thing and finally breaking and not understanding why I had such low control. But after a while I was eating plenty of calories, I had regained a lot of my weight, but I was not only kind of in a restrictive mindset with food, but it also was mentally treating myself terribly. I was really abusive towards myself. Um, just thought nasty things about myself all the time, things I would never say to anyone else. And so one of the key things I think changes if I keep calling myself disgusting, keep calling myself hopeless. I'm never, ever going to try because I believe that that is true. And if I start changing the way I talk to myself, I might start behaving differently. And so I made a really clear shift of we baseline got to treat ourselves with respect. This, this, this like sitting on the, I remember sometimes like sitting in the bathroom for crying, calling myself disgusting and wondering why I wasn't able to function. And that's part of the reason. So I'd say out of everything, that helps me the most is almost taking responsibility for my thoughts and not treating myself like a horrible person. Mm, that is so key. And I think so many of us think that we have to shame ourselves to take action and beat ourselves up. And like, oh my God, I used to be like, like so cruel to myself, like fucking piece of shit, you're fucking garb. Like looking at myself mm-hmm. in the mirror and like screaming at myself and just being so angry that I'd binged again or that I purged again or like whatever that thing was. Like my level of what was acceptable was like so high. It was so high. It was unattainable. Um, and that also set me up for like quote unquote failure right? If like they're, what is allowed is basically being only perfect, but we're human. So perfect is not possible. Um, Mm -hmm. that made it, that recovery was so incredibly difficult because anytime I ate more than I thought I should, instead of it being, okay, it's okay. That happened. You know, I have been restricting and it's going to happen. It became fuck it. I've eaten too much. So I might as well eat everything. Right. And then I will purge it all and finish all the cookies and the chips and everything that I just got on Uber eats 
you know, grocery delivery and then tomorrow I'll be good and start again. So that abusive language just creates such perfectionism with the standards that really sets you up to have a really chaotic recovery. And like you said, recovery is not linear. It has ups and downs. Mm -hmm. That's totally normal. Um, but if you want to help yourself as much as you can using that abusive language is going to be doing completely the opposite of actually what you want. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny. We see on TV, it's promoted like hardcore people being like, come on, stop being a piece of shit, that sort of stuff. But what's an effective way to motivate people is through positive reinforcement. I mean, you look at dogs and they're much more likely to respond to you and give you what you want, but they're, they'll learn more, way more quickly if you have treats. And every time they do something good, you give them a treat and they're going to learn that real fast. With us, we like don't understand. If you start screaming at a dog, you scream at a dog and like if you're abusive towards it, that poor dog is going to have some messed up behavior. So of course we're not animal, we're not dogs, but we do respond similarly. It's weird that we think, oh, we should just hate ourselves and then that will be motivation to change. But actually it's weighs you down, it tires you out, makes you feel terrible. And it can sometimes motivate you, but then it's really tiring and eventually you burn out. And then you, like you said, you have that black and white mindset. That's so common with people. They overeat and instead of using it as a learning opportunity or realizing that like normal people overeat sometimes and your, your body will be okay. But they see it as like, it's going to keep on happening. It's, it's never going to end. I might as well have already fucked up. And then they, they end up creating a binging and purging situation that never had to happen in the first place because of that mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like exactly what you're saying. Like when you're being mean to yourself, beating yourself up, like you're kicking out like cortisol, epinephrine, adrenaline, which is yep. like the neurotransmitters, the hormones that are basically going to hormones that are basically going to burn you out versus the positive mm -hmm. praise kicks out dopamine, which is going to actually give you a re renewable source of energy. So even biologically, not just kind of talking about in theory, you know, but like actually like on a yeah. body level, it's, it's real things. It's not just us being, you know, positive people. <laughs> No, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I can get too far on the thoughts mindset side, but you're right. Um, stress cycles are a real thing. Again, if you are screaming at someone all day long and you wonder why they start having health issues, why they're fatigued all the time, why they're not able to function, they're constantly in a stress cycle, like you're saying, and they are their body systems, like some of their systems are literally not functioning as well as they could be. And then they're not able to do what they need to do. So you're right. Mm -hmm. And also when we're like beating ourselves up like that, it drives self-soothing because we're in that mm. stress cycle and our body's like, what is the thing we do to make ourselves feel better when we're feeling super overwhelmed yes. and stressed? And so we go and get more chocolate or like more cookies or more whatever. And then we're like, God, I can't believe I fucking did that again. I'm so fucking stupid and blah, blah, blah. Then we purge. And then we're like, beating yourself up more. And it just creates a cycle of like beating yourself up, feeling shame, self-soothing. Like it's just, it's become this whole thing. Like you're saying that it doesn't have to become that if we simply get curious and understand as well that we're human, we're going to overeat. That's okay. Our body is really smart. It knows what it needs to do. We don't have to force compensation with, you know, exercising or laxatives or, or purging or any of those things. Our body's incredibly smart. Mm -hmm. And so something you talk about on your social media, on your Instagram, which is amazing. And everyone should go check out your Instagram and we'll drop the handle after. Um, oh, but you. you talk about, yeah, of course, <laughs> um, is processing your urges to binge. Can you walk mm -hmm. us through what you mean by that and how we can actually go about doing it? 
Yeah, so I talk about some key factors in that step. Um, in short, when you, what happens when you get an urge to binge is first of all, you usually, if you're not aware of it at all, you just kind of react to it and you freak out and you associate that urge with danger. And of course, like you said, biologically, some stress is happening. You're actually getting, uh, things are happening in your body that are making you more and more hyped up and more worried and more anxious. So you're going through a whole stress cycle. You're having an urge to binge, you're freaking out. And then you start having thoughts and things like that of this is, this is the only choice we have. We have to binge, or you don't even think about it and it's automated. And you just suddenly you're eating Oreos and you're like, how did I get here? But I'm here. So I might as well keep on going. So those are kind of how it happens. Um, so how I tell people to process binge binges is they first need to be aware of what's going on, because if you're not aware, you can't fix anything. And I commonly have people work on what was happening before your last binge, what was going on. And typically people think, I don't know, I just binged, but I try to ask them, you know, well, where were you before, before you binge? What was going on? Were you in the car? Were you driving home? And like, what was going on that day? And after some digging, instead of the surface level, I find that, you know, either they're restricting during the day or they had a really stressful day or they were already thinking in the morning, like, I, I think I'm going to binge. So they're like things that are building up throughout the day to create that binge. And generally there are little red flags happening that's people aren't seeing, they're missing. And those are kind of what I call turning back points. Um, so if you can become a more aware of the little things that are leading to binge binges, you could be more likely to stop them before they happen. And then the other tactic of that is you need to pause or stop the momentum somehow. So I recommend that at some point during these red flags, the earlier, the better, they can reel it back in, pause. And this isn't a time to distract or like go on your phone and scroll on Instagram. It's a time to take a breath, stop the momentum, breathe, figure out what's going on in your body, and then make a clear decision of where we want to go next. And I'll say this here, because um, I know when I see that people get a little like, oh, you can't make decisions in the moment. That's first of all, why you stop early. But also there are biological things at play. Sometimes it is hard to make a decision in that moment. And that's, again, why I try to make people more aware and process those things earlier. And then also a lot of this doesn't work if you're not eating enough. So the, all of this is great, great advice, but if you're constantly restricting and not giving yourself sufficient calories, then this is gonna be a really difficult process to go through. <laughs> but anyway, after you process, you try to process and pause, then you need to make a cohesive decision of, are we gonna keep going forward with these behaviors that are gonna to lead to a binge? Are we gonna binge or can we walk away and do something else? And that's usually the hardest part people struggle with, but it's usually the negotiation that's the difficult part. And once they can be like, we're going to make the commitment to try something else, and then go and do something else, whether it's to emotionally soothe in another way, or sometimes people find it effective to get lost in something like their work or something enjoyable or calling a friend or taking a walk. So that's kind of how I help people process urges. I love the way you broke that down. I think it's really interesting that we were mentioning about a turning back point. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any examples of like what that might look like for someone? Just so someone's listening, they're like, maybe I can start to look out for these kind of these signs, these flags. Yeah, um, a turning back point. So for me, I would binge and purge every single day after work. And I would get home from work um, around three or four, and I would have about two hours before my boyfriend came home. And so I knew that I would have an urge to binge as soon as I left the door from work. And trying to stop that binge when I was standing in front of my fr fridge or going by the grocery store on the way home, it was already too late because at that point I was kind of in the moment and I was like, 
mm, we'll just we'll just do it. Or I felt like the, well, the food's right there and you're about to bite into it. That's just not the point to stop. You can stop them, but it's really, really hard. It's like trying to stop a train in full motion. What was a turning back point for me was when I was leaving work and on my drive home. Um, and before I'd pulled into my neighborhood to close the grocery store, that's when I could still try to think rationally and start, I could make a clear decision before I got into the place where everything's moving hundred miles per hour and I'm at the heightened part of my urge and trying to make a decision then was a lot easier than trying to make a decision when you were outside the grocery store or about to binge. That's super clear. Thank you for sharing, Max. I think that gives people a good idea of like, what does that mean um, as a turning back point? And another point you had mentioned a little bit earlier was like, you might be just hungry. Like you might be restricting mm-hmm. because I used to try to apply every different tool and technique in the book. And I thought I could keep the restriction and just get rid of the binging and the bulimia, like almost yeah. like as an equation. And I was like, I'll just keep this side of the equation and I'll get rid of the rest. I'm like, that's <laughs> not how it works, you know? Um, yeah. So you can do, you know, check the turning back points and you can recognize, you know, like oh, I am feeling emotional today and all these kind of things. We haven't eaten enough. That's going to override every tool, every, everything, because that's your body's doing its job to keep you alive. And I'll find is all people will think because, oh, I just had a big dinner and I still can't believe I want to go and binge, but it's like, yeah, but did you eat anything during the day? Um, because even if you have like a big nourishing meal in the evening, if you had three coffees, as a personal example, you had like four or five coffees for earlier in the morning and then midday you had like, you know, like very small quantity of food. And then you worked out for three hours and you came home and had like a little bit of food um, or like a decent even meal. And then I was like, I can't believe I'm binging right now. And then I have to purge this. It's like, if you looked at it, it's like, well, clearly, but if, you know, you're sitting there thinking, I just finished a big meal. Why do I want more? And sometimes it's because, you know, you still haven't eaten enough during the day. And so your body still needs more energy, more calories. And so this is not an opportunity to judge, get mad at yourself. It's rather just body trying to keep you alive. (laughs) Yeah. I think the more you can understand why you're binging, whether it's out of emotional coping, hunger, habit, whatever it is, I think that helps you have so much more compassion for yourself instead of going to blame mode, being like, no, wait, what created this? And then you can solve for that instead of shaming. And with the hunger thing, I have worked with so many clients where we're doing all this stuff, like you said, but then I find out I haven't eaten anything all day. And we, we, we finally come, get them to come around to like eat more during the day. We're having at least breakfast and lunch. And if not a snack in the afternoon too, and lo and behold, they are not binging at night. I even had one person, she was like, every single night I, I binge and I just can't control it. It's too much. And then I was like, what are you, what are you eating during this? She's like, I had breakfast then I don't eat the entire day. And then we, and then I was like, what are you eating? What is your binge like? And I didn't, um, I didn't tell her the calories because that would be, you know, not helpful for her, but I was writing down everything she ate. And I told her, I'm like, what you're binging on is what a normal person would eat throughout the day. And so you're, you're literally getting your calories in at night. That is what is going on. And if you just spread those out, I think it'd be helpful. But I think then people, let me know if you relate to this. People think they hear that and they're like, but what if I still binge at night? And then mm-hmm. I think that's when the tactics I was mentioning would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's exactly it. That's bang on. People end up backloading their day uh, with food. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. they're totally afraid that they're going to just you know, front load their day and then also back load their day. And it's like, no, no, no. Like there is a balancing that happens and you know, the tools and techniques that can accompany when you're eating more throughout the day, those as well might take a little bit of time to be 
super effective. You know, I think there's this idea that like once I've decided that I'm done with bulimia and I've tried a different tool or this or that, like it should be like overnight, I am making progress. And if I slip up, like there's something wrong with me and I'm broken. And this goes back to this idea of like recovery is messy. Like there's going to be ups and downs. There's unlearning to do. There's a lot of creating awareness. There's a lot of regulating your nervous system so that you don't feel like you have to go full fledged into that anxious feeling binge all the time. Like there's so many different components that go into it. So even if you are thinking to yourself, okay, actually I'm eating a lot more throughout the day and I'm still struggling in the evening. No, like it's going to take some time for those different tools and techniques. And the more you check in, the more you talk about it, the more you um, really just immerse yourself into it with compassion and knowing it's not going to be perfect, the easier it is going to become. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I think my boyfriend just tried to check in there. So oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I was just distracted for a second, but yeah, it's, it takes ups and downs. It takes different things to happen. And it's kind of funny when you originally asked me that question of like, what, what was your story or how did you, and you said like, what's the, what happened when I started the work that required for recovery? I didn't even know that it was the work required for recovery. I had joined this like program to help with my mindfulness and mental awareness, but I was doing it because I thought it was going to give me like a happier life, a better career and a better relationship. And it did that, but I unknowingly was also working towards tools that would help me with recovery. So, and then after all that recovery became a lot easier and the binging and pushing lesson. So I think, you know, whatever way you do it, there's no perfect way of doing it. I think if anything, I did it the exact opposite way you should do it. And it still kind of worked out in my favor. Mm, and like other thing as well, like everyone has such a unique recovery path and journey. Um, and the way that we deliver content information, the people, the way people like understand and integrate it is going to be totally different. So knowing like, if you're someone who does take a more mindful approach, or if you're someone like me, who takes a more science-based approach and like whatever approach that kind of ends up becoming or working for you, that's totally okay. Cause everyone is completely unique. Um, and has their own path and has their own journey. So if something's not working yeah. for you, that's okay. You can try different things and um, switch it up and know that, yeah, you can create your own path in recovery. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of people and content out there for like so many different ways to recover. So just like keep looking around till you find the person that resonates most with you. Mm-hmm. So if someone is listening right now who is struggling with bulimia, what would be a message? What would be something that you would say to them right now? Um, that you can recover. Um, even though I know a lot of you right now think like the person that's listening right now, you probably think you're listening to us talk and being like, oh, they can do it, but I can't. I'm the special one. I'm the one that can't recover. Maybe you've been in bulimia for 30 years. Okay? I talked to a lot of people who've been struggling for a long time. And they think because of that amount of time, I can't recover but please know it is possible. We, we both, you know, sitting here, we get the benefit of seeing lots of our clients actually recover. And so our belief is just reinforced right now. But unfortunately you sitting there that's listening, um, you only get to see your own story. So I tell you to like go fill your heads with tons of stories of people recovering and not just people recovering, but people doing stuff that inspires you outside of recover, recovery. Cause I think that was a big motivator for me to get better was like, my life could be more than bulimia. Like, like I could do other things. So please try to start believing yourself and looking for evidence. You, you're probably, your mind is filled for evidence. It's why you can't do it. I'd argue, try to start arguing for why you can. And even if that's hard to believe right now, 
try to understand that both of us sitting here, we're normal human beings. We're, we're special, but we're not super special. And we can do it. So you can totally do it to it too. It's just like, it's going to take you finding the right way to do it, but it does not mean that you're incapable. So that's, that's what I would say. Okay. Love that. I love that the way you said it, like so art- well articulated, but like that your life is more than bulimia and like, you know, crowding out your life with more things than just food and body. Because when you're in it, your whole world just becomes consumed by it. It becomes, when am I going to have a free window or free, you know, chunk of time to do this and that. And when you go through the recovery process, all of a sudden you have so much time and energy back, you know, whether it be from thinking and worrying about food or from like literally binging and purging in the evenings and canceling plans. Cause you don't want to go out after you've purged, like whatever mm-hmm. you get so much life back. And I think for myself, one of the scariest things was like, what if I gain weight? And like, I challenge people like, yeah, but what if you gain life? You know, mm-hmm. I remember, and I've said it before on this podcast, like remember when I was going to see a therapist and they're like, well, you know, if gaining 10 pounds is the difference between you being like the happiest I've ever been, would you do it? And I was like, fuck no. Like I would never gain 10 pounds. Like that was the most ridiculous thing. And here I am, like, I don't even know how many pounds heavier. And I'm like, oh my God, I I'm so happy. Like we're recording us. I go to Morocco tomorrow. I live in Portugal. I've lived in Bali. Yeah, you're living the dream. The world. <laughs> I'm living the dream. And I'm, mm-hmm. and you know, when I used to work corporate, I used to be working like 60, 70 hours a week. And, you know, I was just so consumed by bulimia and consumed by this idea that my whole, my body and keeping my body a certain way was the only way to live my life and getting any bigger was the end of it. Not knowing that getting bigger was actually going to be the start of it. So if you're someone who's fearful of weight change, fearful of weight gain, no, I mean, I don't know you and I don't know where you're sitting at weight wise and relative to your set point weight, but like if your weight does go up, that could mean the start of you, an incredible life for you, not the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. You said that really well. And when it comes to like, sometimes the sacrifice to recover is being willing to go through uncertain things and your weight changing is uncertain to you. Um, and it is hard. It's hard to experience your body changing like that. I'm not going to say it's easy, but I've been asked that same question. I asked people that question too, of, you know, if you knew, if you knew on the other side of recovery, you'd reach a place where you felt healthy in your body you felt health or you felt happy and you were living your life and never wanted to binge and purge again, but you had to probably gain some sort of weight. Would you do it? And they say no, but I think that that's when they can answer honestly, no, that's the start of realizing that something needs to change because it's like, why wouldn't you do that? If you knew you'd be perfectly happy, wouldn't, why wouldn't you take it? It's like, they think that we're trying to give them a matrix pill or something like they'd forget what's important. And it's really like, once you get on the other side, you're like, oh, weight isn't everything. It's not as important as I thought it would, um, thought it is. And like you, you and me, we both like to lift. Like, it's not like we've given up any health goals. We still do a lot of active things as well. And then you, you're traveling around the world. So that is a lot more life as well. Yeah. Like that's the thing as well. Like it doesn't have to mean, okay, I'm going into recovery, which means I can't want to, you know, take care of my mental health, my physical health and all those things mm-hmm. just means shifting what that actually means to you and actually being healthful and not, you know, dangerous and scary. Like even for myself, like there was orthorexic at one time, like that was its own health issue in itself, even though that, you know, what orthorexic really is, is like an obsession with healthy eating and clean eating and all that. But anything like that can really be taken to the extreme and be detrimental for your health. So 
what the, basically mm-hmm. what I'm saying is with bulimia, um, recovery doesn't mean you have to sacrifice, you know, being a healthy person and taking care of yourself just because you've decided to recover. Um, yeah, absolutely not. Not all or nothing and by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so this has been great. I love talking with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love when I can, like, the conversation. Yeah, when I can like relate to people and share my story and like their story and just have so much in common, so much to relate to because not enough people talk about bulimia. Obviously, you know, it's a conversation that it's vulnerable. And if people haven't talked about it, it can be scary to be the first person to, you know, when you tell someone for the first time. Um, but the more that we talk about it and the more that we share stories and people can see themselves, you know, and see them what's possible and how they too can recover after hearing other people talk about it. I think it's so incredibly important. So thank you yeah. so much for coming on. Oh, I have one last question for you. I ask all my, all my guests this, basically, if you had to weigh in on one thing that makes you happy, because the theme of my podcast is weighing in on happy, we're spoiler alert, it's not our way that makes us happy. So if you had to weigh on, weigh in on one thing that makes us happy, makes you happy, sorry, what would that be? Oh my God. So that's so funny. Cause like, I forgot that your podcast is titled that I just made a post on my Instagram and then I just recorded a podcast about when was the last time you remember feeling happy and how it has nothing to do with your weight. And I asked someone this on a call, a group coaching call. And they were like, uh, I was on a Zoom call recently and we started giggling and I felt happy. Like it had nothing to do with her weight, just like connecting with a coworker. But I said on the call, of course, lots of things make me happy. But one of my, one thing that makes me feel like warm and fuzzy in my heart and it makes me so happy. It almost feels like your heart's breaking. It's like, it's like too much to handle, too cute to handle um, is when I see my boyfriend cuddling my dog. I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't handle the cuteness. And that makes me so happy. But also like, uh, I don't know if you've heard, um, read Brene Brown's book. It's like the daring to be vulnerable, something, something, but it's a good book. And it, she talks about how, like, sometimes when you feel your purest joy is when you're most vulnerable, cause like you could lose it. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother concept, but that's what yeah. makes me um, happy. <laughs> I love to say we could really do a deep dive into Brene Brown. It is dare to lead. Is it dare to lead that one? Is that, or is another um, one? There's, she has a couple books that are so good. I'm reading Atlas of the Heart right now. Um, oh. but she's so good. The audiobook. Yeah. If you listen, like, I love listening to the audiobooks cause she reads them and she'll add in like little extra bits here and there. Like it's. Oh, it's oh that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I have only read yeah. her physical copies. Um, but I should check out the audio copies as well. Yeah, it's uh, would recommend anyone listening to this. Brene Brown for me was actually super, super helpful in my recovery because she helped me to understand my emotions and vulnerability and surrender and like courage and all those kind of things that are so, so key in recovery. So that's a little side note. But anyways, Brene Brown is great. Yeah, <laughs> Brene Brown, uh, you know, we can be a sponsor for you. So yeah, yeah, literally though, we're, we're not affiliated yet. Uh, but if someone is listening, <laughs> yeah. um, so where can people find you? Um, they can find me at my website, which is bingebreakers.com. They can find me on my Instagram, which is bingebreakers underscore bulimia. But I think the best place to come go find me and see if you like me or not and find lots of valuable tips is my podcast, which is just bingebreakers as well. Just type in bingebreakers to Google and I should come up somewhere. So that's where you can find me. Amazing. And I'll put all that in the show notes. People can easily find you and all your different contact points. And just thank you so much again for coming on. I so enjoyed this conversation. It was super fun and really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. It was a really fun conversation too. I had a good time. 
Hey, you guys, and thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, then I invite you to please rate and review on Apple. It really means the world to me and only takes just two seconds if you're on Apple Podcasts. Scroll to the bottom there and you should be able to hit a few stars. Thank you so much for doing that. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to join me over on Instagram. That is at Victoria Evans Official, where I post tons of content and I'm happy to answer all of your questions there. I'm also on TikTok, and that is at Intuitive Eating with Vic, and Vic is spelled V-I-C. So if you're looking for more content, more how-tos, more things to learn, definitely add me there as well. And finally, if you're curious to learn more about my Stop Bulimia Toolkit, you can go to my website at www.victoriaevansofficial.com forward slash toolkit. You can get it there for only $9.97. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. And until next week, I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.